Transplanter RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter. That is at D-M-I-T-R-Y-O-P-I-N-E-S. And Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy believing in the power of D&D and Transplaner's potential to grow, tell great stories, and lift up our community. Explain Trade trains negotiators for governments, big companies, NGOs, and offers e-learning courses for individuals looking to get a better deal from their boss. Level up your charisma score and check out explaintrade.com. Hey there, thank you for tuning in to Trans Planar RPG. We are an all transgender, people of color led, 100% homebrew, Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition live streamed actual play campaign set in an original non colonial anti orientalist world. I am your game master, Connie, my pronouns are they, he, and she, and my cast is as follows. C. Thomas plays Oka Hien, an Osamar Bloodhunter. Max Guo plays Dewey Quirk, an Aarakocra Artificer. Erica Flaidlin plays V. Nakshirzo, an Elf Sorcerer. Hamna Shahid plays Jaron Kader, a Dragonborn Rogue. Dare Hickman plays Gentle, a Triton Monk. Quinn B. Rodriguez plays Sidlali, a Changeling Cleric. And Austin Knight plays Abiku Ishtar, a Reborn Goliath Ranger. So, with that out of the way, here are the content warnings for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include anxiety, complex and complicated relationships, darkness, manipulation, fantasy violence, gore, blood, monsters and monstrosity, body horror, death, fire, and a refugee crisis. Arc 5, Episode 15. It Dreams You, The Empty Sound. From Continuous Installation by Karen Weiser Chaos Commotion Confusion The stony streets of Dabathati, the city of Three Mouths, capital of Talmud, are packed to their rocky gills with angry civilians. In the district of Saraksha, we see a coal-black tiefling with silver eyes and long black hair hanging in loose waves down to his shoulders. He's one of hundreds, if not thousands, of citizens protesting outside the Adventurers Guild's demanding answers, specifically about what happened at the Chrysalis Conference not two days ago. He holds a sign aloft with a spade-tipped tail, a sign that reads, who is gentle. In the district of Thristi, we see inventors, scientists, scholars, professors out in the streets arguing publicly with each other in front of their laboratories and libraries and with chrysalis members. We see an elf with brown hair, a smattering of freckles, stubble bristling on her jaw, and an air of immense exhaustion, uh, engaging in furious debate with a green-robed halfling and a uh, apologist, let's say, for the chrysalis organization. And now we pan over to the district of Vinash, where Daywatch and Nightwatch soldiers are desperately trying to quell a seething crowd of mercenaries, sellswords, adventurers, and amidst this hubble and bubble, we hear someone shout, why don't you hire any of us to guard the conference? And someone else chimes in, are, are you taking chrysalis coin? Don't you know their coin is rotten? It, it, it sulfurs everything it touches. Yeah, yeah. And you know, just hubbub, hubbub, and soldiers going, quiet down, quiet down. And a poor lieutenant's going, I don't know anything. I just take, I don't, I don't know. 
Tons of confusion and chaos just clashing in the air, thrumming above the throngs of people taking to the streets here. In a word, Dabathati is tumultuous, and it's amidst this barely contained bedlam, like a pot moments away from boiling over, that we find Oka, Jaron, Sitlali, and Gentle in Karishma Batavall's secret garden. Uh, the noise of protest, anger, and confusion is mostly blocked out for the four of you uh, by the peace wards that uh, Consul Bataval erected around this garden in the heart of the Senate House. At this point, it's getting close to midnight, the meeting time that Adam's note suggested. What do the four of you do? Oka is at the edge of the pond. Uh, they kind of have gotten over their disappointing dinner. I think they had whatever vegetarian option that Gentle had cooked for them. Willingly, but with a frown. Not because of the cooking, but because of the situation at hand. And I think they're kneeling in front of the pond, looking into it. Uh, and they take a few handfuls of water and kind of like wash their face. These like dark, dark circles underneath their eyes. And they start to put on the finest robes that they have. The royal outfit of Tsulong that they were coronated in. Uh, and they take out these like very, very fine, like dark black, blue and silver silks that they start to then like drape around their body up and over. This like thin uh, sheer shirt that comes down like over their hands with this little silver detailing threaded through it. And eventually they look into the water and they murmur, it abuses frozen titties. And the crown that they had disappeared from their head several days ago reappears uh, on their face. These like long tendrils, I think of like beads and jewelry like hanging down and framing their face. And they lean back on their heels. Gentle, can um, I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, of course. Um, I think I was just mostly probably checking on Bud and slowly trying to get him to talk to me more uh, at this moment. Um, yeah. I want you to walk with me. Of course. I, I mean, really, through, through the street, with everyone. It's gonna be loud. There are gonna be a lot of people and a lot of questions, but I'll be right next to you. Okay, um, is this, is this a mask off event? I think so. Okay. But if okay. you need it, you can have it. Whatever you need. Okay. I I think, like, Gentle's hands are shaking just a little bit, but they sort of start just tensing their, uh, flexing their hands a bit more, just to sort of have a little steady rhythm to go with, and it's not... I, I'll be okay. I know. But I think the people need to see you. And they should see you. Because you're their hope. And you're my hope. And people should know that. And I think Oka kind of reaches over and, if you'll allow it, takes your hand. Yeah. Uh, and they squeeze. Can you feel my pulse? Yes. Listen to that. And I think still holding hands with Gentle, Oka stands up and looks over at the other hounds. Are we ready for this? Thinks that Lolly comes over and just kind of looks you 
square in the face, Oka. Do you trust me? Yes. Good. And then they flip their boot knife around in one hand, prick their thumb, uh, swab like a little bit across their own lip, and then some across Oka's bottom lip, if you allow it. Uh, and they cast Warding Bond on Oka, uh, which, as long as Oka's within 60 feet of me, uh, they have plus one AC and to all saving throws and resistance to all damage. Uh, and anytime you take damage, I will take the same amount of damage. Uh, yeah. I, I think as Sitlali like kind of swipes their own blood against Oka's mouth, all four of their pupils blow kind of wide. Like you should like if you uh, shined a light in a cat's eyes and then blipped it away, it goes like their pupils blow out really huge as they I think are tasting all of this information about Sitlali, Sitlali's blood, blood type, iron content, like everything. Like, and also that, st- that still that emptiness of losing their changeling magic uh, kind of like floods their nervous system uh, and then they blink and look down. Did, did you just do blood magic? Did I? And then just kind of go back to whatever they were doing. Actually, no, I know exactly where they go. They go to Mercy. So Lolly just kind of looks up at her and is like, if we come to a tussle, you're going to let me kill him, right? Obviously. And you see Mercy is sharpening uh, javelins by the fire, right? Like little like bits of like wood coming off onto, onto the earth. But I'll get a few stabs in first, huh? Mercy, the javelins again. What? They make me feel grounded? Uh, something to do with my hands? I know, that's that's good. That's good. And um I think uh, it, it, it's either this or or turning to murder, so I suppose I would prefer that this then. And she leans in for a kiss, uh, and sneaks her hand around um to the greatsword on on Mercy's back and casts holy weapon. Ooh. What does that do? what does that look like? Basically, like, the blade in its sheath just kind of, like, shimmers with this, like, purplish-pink kind of radiant magic. Until that ends in an hour, it gets an extra 2d8 radiant damage on a hit. And it's magical if it wasn't already. And then I can do fun stuff if I want to on my bonus action, but, you know, we'll see if it comes to that. Cool, yeah. Are you trying to do this without Mercy noticing, or are you doing it, like, not really caring if she sees? Not really caring if she sees. Sure. You reach around her back and you like pull your hand down across the length of her greatsword that's currently in its massive leather sheath. And she turns as this ching, 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 like shimmering, radiant, divine magic sort of shimmers uh, over the sheath. She turns down in surprise and looks at you. What'd you do to her? Something awesome, right? Very. It'll head harder. Just in case. Fuck yeah. Uh, any, any way to make the color like red? Or like green. I guess. Pink's fine. Which, Pink's which, it's purple and pink are fine. They're great. They're very you. They're very you. But if it, you know, we're like black. black. Okay, wait, that's three different colors. Which one? Do, pick one. Black and red. That's two, babe. Black. Black. Is that, is that your final answer? You had pink and purple. Can you do black and red? Like change one or the other. 
Fine, fine. And using thaumaturgy, she will change the color of Mercy's sword. She's very specific about like making the blade black, uh, but the sheath bright red, you know? She like specifies the tone. And the two of these are like talk a little bit by the water. I want to know what Jaron's up to. Oh my god. Uh, sorry, I'm still processing that whole conversation. <laughs> Jaron, I think, was um, looking over the map that he had created of the basement of the Chrysalis building and sort of just committing the last of it to memory, just anxiously going over each hallway, each crevice where all of the offices are, everything. They f roll up the map, and when Oka calls out to everybody, they walk over to Oka and Gentle, and they hold out the map to Oka. Do you want to lead us? Oka takes it without looking at Jaron and passes it to Gentle. Uh, okay. Um, am I doing the leading then? Yes, I think you are, Gentle. <sighs> okay. Okay. I got this. So just you do. Like, oh. Just, uh, if you open the map, you will find the cages are marked and there is a hallway that leads out into deeper into the basement by Adam's office. Uh, we probably want to avoid that area. Understood. And Jaron will just kind of awkwardly, like, their eyes keep going back to Oka as they're talking, but they can't bring themselves to actually address Oka again because the sting of Oka rebuffing them hurts. I think as you're finishing up the end of your sentence, Oka just starts moving forward and like clips you in the shoulder as they go by. Yeah. I think it's maybe on that that Dr. Aluso, completely not reading the room, uh, says... Great. Uh, I'm glad we're all on the same page here about everything. Um, sh shall we get going? It's getting to be quite late and we're nearing the meeting time. It's time. And on that, we cut to the four of you, Mercy and Dr. Aluso, traversing the crowded, riotous streets of Dabathati. The orphanage, uh, the repurposed, remodeled orphanage, let's say, uh, that serves as the Chrysalis's headquarters is in the middle of Saraksha. So you leave through the gate of Saraksha by the Senate House, which is quite close to where the Secret Garden is, because of course, Karishma is the consul of Saraksha. And as you enter out into the city, you are besieged by the sights and sounds and smells of a capital on the precipice of war with itself. It's almost midnight, and yet Dabathati is alive with chaos. Uh, you can hear shouting everywhere, like clamoring, like pressing bodies, uh, chanting, right? People arguing with each other, the sound of smattering glass. No violence yet. Like, people aren't attacking each other, but, like, emotions are boiling over, and that, like, tea kettle is getting close to whistling. So as the four of you and your friends pass through the streets that are crowded with bodies and fervor, what do you do? I think Oka and Gentle are walking in the front, or Oka would have led them to the front. And they are just walking like as confidently and clearly forward as possible, letting people see them. Whereas they were like, I don't want anyone to see me at the Chrysalis conference. They are letting their recognizability take note in the crowd, I think, and also for Gentle. And they're still holding Gentle's hand um, and keeping both of their heartbeats steady, I think. 
like literally like using their magic to keep both of their heartbeats steady as uh, they hold hands and walk through the street. Um, I think, yeah, I am with the map gives me a very thankful thing I can look down at whenever I feel myself a little overwhelmed with the amount of faces and people I see. But I'm just quietly trying to keep to that rhythm. Oka believes in me. I can do this. In contrast, I think Jaron has like a dubatta over his face and over their head, uh, trying very much not to be noticed at all here. They're hoping that all of the attention that Oka and Gentle can sort of hone in on it and that they can kind of fall back into the shadows and follow without really being registered as sort of part of this procession. And he is making sure as well, because he's at this point like memorized that map, he has looked over it so many times because he had nothing else to focus on for the past little while. And so he is also just making sure that like Gentle is uh, able to navigate us correctly to where we're going uh, and just keeping an eye out on the crowd to make sure that if there's any sign of anybody who might try and like come up to Gentle or like attack them or anything like that, then he is ready to sort of intervene. And I think Sitlali probably has like one arm through Mercy's, probably between Gentle and Oka and Duran in the back, keeping an eye on the two in the front. And she also has like a kind of like a almost like white knuckling hurricane, but not quite. And I think there's a moment where like, you know, her eyes darting, taking everything in. She just takes a moment, kind of turns towards Mercy and brushes a hand across her own eyes, sort of like to, as if to get hair out of her eyes, uh, but she's really casting uh, true seeing on herself, um, which, um, so for the duration, which is an hour, uh, she has true sight and notices secret doors hidden by magic and can see into the ethereal plane out to a range of 120 feet. Okay. True, true sight. True sight. As you scan the crowd, Sitlali, uh, you see like a lot of like several like objects just sort of pinging everywhere, you know, because it's a, it's a big city with lots of magic everywhere. You see certain buildings are lit up completely, either in enchantment magic or illusion magic, right? Uh, for wards and illusions. Uh, you also see like some people's like, like swords are glowing, right? You see like Mercy's sword is very much ablaze with magic, uh, but she, 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 I think she advocated for a flame decal uh, on, uh, on her sheath, which is like glowing and sort of moving uh, under your true sight. Uh, and you notice a couple of people who have invisible themselves in the crowd are visible. Uh, several of them seem to be chrysalis operatives. Uh, in the crowd, that you see them like translucent as they're just looking around uh, and keeping an eye on Oka and Gentle. They don't seem to be doing anything. They're like not like reaching into their robes for a hidden sword, but they're just being the eyes and ears of the chrysalis, you imagine. Uh, and you also see like there's just a miasma of magic, like an aurora borealis above the city itself, just humming and humming and humming everywhere. All, all different kinds of iridescent colors. You see creatures that you have not seen before without true sight, uh, like translucent kind of like floating, almost like Naga-like creatures that just sort of fly like be beneath the ceiling. And even like massive hidden invisible nests, like strung between like big stalactites hanging from the ceiling, like spiders' nests, and you see like spider birds, right? That are sort of like 
perched upon the nest and catching other invisible creatures, right? Because with true sight, you see like you see like freaking everything. Right? You could even potentially see people who are hidden in different planes. With true sight, I think maybe this this is the first time you cast this spell on yourself, right? So you're just taking in like it's like you're seeing multiple layers just all revealed. You're seeing shrimp colors here. You look down, and your eyes fall on Doctor Aluso, who I think is like striding close to where you and Mercy are, and. There's something inside of her. Uh, it looks like kind of a um, shimmering plate of shadow. Uh, like her, her silhouette looks, you know, like looks normal, like everyone else's silhouette. But there's almost like a, a second silhouette inside her that is kind of black. Like someone like did like a, a crime scene outline of Doctor Luso and placed it just just right inside of her. Almost like it's lead lining, lead lining within her, with your true sight. Noted. I did give your party, Oka, a gem of true sight in arc one, and I had had this prepared if you decided to look through it to look at Dr. Aluso, but none of you did. Uh, but Sitlali now has true sight and is looking around, so this is what you would see. As you all continue to walk, Oka next to Gentle. Oka, I need you to make a charisma check with advantage, given the fact that you're wearing your crown, all the regalia, to see how the crowd responds to you. Uh, 22. 22. That is sufficient. Oka, the crowd kind of parts for you, like waves in the wake of a shark, just sort of ballooning open or curtains rising uh, on a main event. No one like goes up to Gentle or like grabs them, etc. Everyone just sort of looks at you and where you walk, like the arguments like stop and like pause and like turn and look, right? Like a little slack jawed as like your party passes. And we see like the tiefling with the who is gentle sign, like sort of like slowly lower the sign like from his tail and just also stare, right? As like gentle passes by. And like Mercy sort of like leans into you, sit lolly and mutters, we're being stared at. We're being stared at. We're with the Paragon and with Gentle, so what did you expect? I think, Oka, before you get to the orphanage area, just sort of walking with Gentle, your party, everyone parting for you, someone stumbles in your way at last. One person interrupts your procession. Just a regular looking person, uh, maybe a halfling with dark skin, some like colored freckles on their face and like a tuft of like black curly hair. They just look like a completely normal person, very average, everything about them dressed in like, I think the robes of Dabathati. They bravely step step in front of your your group. They look actually really scared, like their, their knees are knocking together a little and they just go, um, uh, you're one of the paragons, right? You're also the hero of Dabathati and uh, Prince Tien. Yes. And you're gentle. I saw you. I was at the conference. I was in the crowd. Hi. Um, do you need a help up or a hand up? I, I just, I think everyone here just wants answers. And, and, and none of the senators are giving us any answers. None of the Daywatch or Nightwatch soldiers are giving us any answers. None of the adventurers guilds are giving us any answers. And no one knows what's happening. And we just, we just want to know what's going on. Look at Oka first. Oka looks at Gentle and nods. The anxiety in my heart. Um, we were there and Adam was going to hurt a lot of people and we stopped him. And I mean, I, I don't have much else. I, everything I said earlier was, I think, the truth. The Chrysalis wants to take advantage of people who 
our little loss and we could find each other together and I give a little smile the, the chrysalis aren't letting anyone in uh, even people that wanted to sign up people who are asking questions they're, they're not letting anyone into the orphanage is that where you're headed? yes well you heard them everyone they're, they're gonna are gonna look for answers for the citizens of Dabathati with the chrysalis there's like a swell of like like murmur and chattering and people like looking around and nodding like you see someone like drop someone else's like the front of their shirt right and like nod nod at this uh, as there's finally a promise of some sort of clarity coming from some group here uh, and you seem to I feel like some of the tension in this particular street of Saraksha seems to like lower a little bit there's still stress uh, but it's no longer on the verge of bubbling over uh, and this halfling nods and says okay well everyone let's just uh Let's just wait. Wait for them to come out of the orphanage and maybe we'll have some answers for Rio. Thank you. Thank you. Especially if you finally give us some clarity. This has been this has been such a year for our people. We just want we just want some peace. And with that, the halfling nods and steps back into the crowd, opening the way to the front fence of the Chrysalis Orphanage. At the entrance of the orphanage, uh, currently taken over by the Chrysalis, there is a big crowd pressed up against the fence. None of them have broken through it to sort of like st storm uh, the orphanage, but there are people like very upset, uh, looking around. We see Chrysalis members like beyond the fence, trying to like hold back the crowd, giving non-answers to the questions they're demanding, right? Uh, most of the front garden of the Chrysalis is bereft of, of, of people. Seems like perhaps most of the diehard Chrysalis fans or Chrysalis cult members are in the orphanage proper. Oka, you do however notice two particularly familiar and friendly faces in the crowd right by the fence. We see the big tall orca form of Mama Fish. Uh, she's holding a sign that says we would just like some answers please at some point, perhaps at your earliest convenience like the entire sentence is on the sign and Ebia's sign just says fuck Chrysalis. Uh, not fuck their Chrysalis, just fuck Chrysalis. Uh, she's, she's holding it up and is, is riding Mama Fish's shoulders and Mama Fish turns her big like flippers glimmering in the low light of torches nearby as she makes eye contact with you Oka and waves excitedly and nods oh no uh Oka makes contact like makes eye contact with her as well and I think their face like lights up and then the light immediately dies because they don't know yet uh and they nod at them uh and look forward back at the chrysalis at the front gate, the fence, where there's a hinge for it to open, we all see Grace, uh, the tiefling member of the Chrysalis who seems to be maybe like Adam's right hand or something. Uh, she's sort of standing there, like trying to talk down a really angry looking gnome. It's like, can't give any answers at this time. The Imago is a very busy man. Oh, Paragon, hero of Dabathati. Yes, yes, uh, the Imago has been expecting you. Only you may enter. Please, please, everyone, let's be civil about this. And Grace unlatches uh, the low gate of the fence and opens it to admit your party. Oka steps through. Your party strides through the open gate, uh, and Grace hurriedly closes it before anyone else can slip by. Like the gnome is like looking for an angle to get in, and she 
quickly closes it in his face and lashes it up again, goes back to like dealing with the crowd. Uh, as your party is allowed to stride through the gardens uh, where we see like a couple of, of winter plants and vegetables uh, in the middle of being tended to. You see like a watering can that's just sort of been knocked on its side. Uh, you see a couple of gardening implements also like just strewn about uh, the acreage here. Perhaps you get the sense that Crystal's members were minding their own business and then people started asking questions so they ran inside. Uh, you go up. Yes, it lolly. Does Grace look any different under true sight? Uh, Sit Lolly, when you look at Grace, she has these like two horns that sort of curve up and like past past her head. And under true sight, you see uh, I think like cracks at the at the base uh, of her horns, and you get the sense that maybe like the horns have been repaired, right? Or like her horns used to be cracked off, or she had an injury, but they've been like put back. Good to see you again, Grace. Ah, Joy, a pleasure to see you as well. And sit lolly. I know. Uh, shall we, shall we get going? Uh, and Dr. Lusso steps up the stairs, as does Mercy. Your party goes up the front porch through the front door. You see the interior of the orphanage exactly how you remember it, Jaron, except there's more people on the first floor. Uh, there's like a hallway that leads to like a, a sitting room where you see just tons of Chrysalis members sort of milling about, whispering anxiously in low tones. A couple of them, the shutters are down, but a couple of them are like peeking through the shutters to like look outside at the crowd. The kitchen is currently bustling with people making, I think, keeping tea on, right? To keep spirits high, like caffeine going, coffee going, tea going. We see like a set of like uh, stairs that lead up to a second floor and a door cut into the base of the stairs that presumably leads it down to the basement that both V and Jaron went through. What does your party do? I think once we're inside, for the first time, Oka kind of steps to the side and looks at Jaron, although it, it is with a kind of cold and stony expression, but expectant. Jaron uh, is taken aback by Oka's sudden attention, given that they have been ignoring him this whole time, and I think they kind of freeze there for a second before turning to look at Gentle. You have the map. You're leading us, right? Uh, yeah. Do you mind being up here with me at least? It would feel a little bit easier. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that. Endron will sidle on up next to Gentle, squeeze their arm a little bit. Just be careful when we go because we're going to the monster cages and I'm not sure that they will actually be in the cages when we get there. Okay. And I will start walking. Okay. Gentle, you approach the door to the basement, so to speak. Gentle, you turn the knob. It's not locked and you swing the door open. And your party sees the top of a landing, kind of cramped, you probably have to go down single or double file, a top of a landing and stairs that lead down, 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 down into a murky abyss. So I don't have a torch or anything for this? Oka flexes their hands and in between their fingers, uh, they cast light uh, as it kind of just like erupts on their fingertips and they move it uh, and place the light in your hands. Okay. Um, like, Gentle is, I think, very clearly anxious by the amount of, like, it feels like pressure to them. Um, but they just nod once again very sagely. Uh, and they focus on just walking, keeping all of their attention on if anything might jump out. Yeah, and I, I head down. Jaron is following close behind Gentle, like, 
keeping very little distance between the two of them, just in case. I think at the side of the stairs and the dark, like the utter darkness of them, Sitlali kind of like sways a little and leans harder onto Mercy and pops ascending to Mercy and just says, don't let him take me again. Mercy turns to look at you abruptly as she hears your voice ringing in her head and you see like the hard lines of her face soften as a gruff voice rings back in your own mind that says, never. And with that, your party descends into the abyss. Creaking noises come from the wooden stairs that lead down, 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 down. There are no sconces here, no torches, only the light radiating out of Gentle's palm, empowered by the magic of Oka's soul. This light, I think, is much welcome as it illuminates the way forward by 30 to 60 feet. Eventually, you notice the wooden walls of this basement just transform. Uh, kind of has a hard cutoff to stone as we reach like the underground. Like this is like a tunnel drilled like deep into, now you know, like the, the catacombs of Dabathati underneath underneath the capital. You're getting about as deep as the Aurochs Guild uh, tunneled, if not deeper. Go down, down, down the wooden steps. The smell of sweet rot begins to intensify as your boots tread from wood to stone as well. You continue to go down, 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 down. You get the sense that maybe it's, it's curving or something. This isn't a straight line. It's, it's got like a gentle curve to it, but it goes for a while. And I think all of you can just surmise that this is at least a hundred, maybe 80, a hundred feet underground. It's, it's quite deep, burrowed in there. I mean, Jaron, you'd walk for several minutes uh, and so does your party now. And then I think, Sitlali, you are the first to notice and to see it. Little pinpricks of light in the distance as you begin to curve around a final corner and reach a landing of sorts. You see tiny little pinpricks of light uh, that are only illuminated by your true sight. There's no other way you'd be able to see it. There are maybe a hundred maybe a, a couple hundred, 100, 200 lights. Uh, most of them are, are clustered. Uh, like someone like poked holes through fabric and lifted it up to the night sky, like clustered. Uh, there's very few of them are alone, but they're mostly in clusters and clumps. Uh, and then I, think, I, then I think you realize what they are. They're souls. And that's when your party reaches the final landing and the light falls upon this wide cavern that Jaron, you recognize as the monster cage area. And we just see a vast cavern. The light doesn't hit the ceiling or either of the walls on either side, uh, filled with steel cages on like a very neat grid. And inside the cages, not outside of them, we see empty beasts. They look exactly as you remember, Jaron, of writhing, shifting, fleshy masses of shadow with all sorts of limbs stitched and conglomerated onto each other. Some have four eyes, some have one, some have none, some have ten mouths, some have two, uh, some have four fingers, some have ten. It's just almost like Adam or whoever made these monstrosities grabbed limbs and like faces and heads off of people, turned them into shadow, and then like mashed them all together, right, and then threw them into cages together. And Sitlali, each of the souls are clumped within the soul bags, let's say, uh, of these monsters. There's a couple hundred of them total, at least. And it smells like death. I think maybe three-fourths of the way down the stairs. I imagine maybe Oka is last coming down. And I think they kind of, they like pause there for a minute, I think, as they smell this 
old smell of death and blood, and they like waver for a half a second before continuing down. Uh, when your feet hit the landing last, Oka, all of you hear a voice coming from the darkness on the other side of this chamber, at least like maybe a hundred feet away, but his voice echoes through the chamber and almost seems to be magically amplified to reach you. You don't see Adam, but you hear him. Ah, Paragon and your little playthings. Thank you for indulging my request. I wasn't sure if you'd have the nerve to show up. You know, for a man who's so interested in looks, you have horrible fucking manners. With that, stepping out of the darkness of the shadows and into the pale, dim light at the very edge, I think, of your magic oka. We see his boots first, uh, his leather shoes stepping into the light and then illuminates, I think, like a, a green trousers that go up to a perfectly mended suit now. Adam, wearing the same suit, emerald glittering crystal clear that he wore at the conference, but is clearly patched up. He's got his new tie back and his hair is sleek, right? And like trimmed as usual, his face looks completely repaired. The only sign of the tussle he had with your group are I think like bite marks, I think on his face, just very faint, but fading away uh, on his face from Sitlali's chomp. Even his hair, the clumps of hair that have been pulled out seem to have magically come back. I think as we're there standing by the monster cages, listening to them sort of like growling at us, Jaron starts to get a little bit anxious and looks over at Adam and just kind of blurts out, what do you want? Why did you invite us here? What I want is quite simple, my sweet little dumb traitor. 3,000. 192? No, 93. That's right. 3,193 souls are pledged to me by way of contract. And he opens up his arms and gestures at the monsters. When either these lovely little beasties die or I die, their souls go straight to the chrysalis and there's no getting them back when they do. What I'm offering is a simple exchange. I'm willing to void these contracts. Set 3,193 people free. And in exchange, you, the Alliance, all of you paragons, all of your little minions, you stop chasing me. I am sick of my plans being disrupted by your interventions. So the next we meet, it will be on the battlefield when Mother comes. Do we have a deal? It's the best one you're going to get. Why should we trust you to uphold your end of the deal when you couldn't do that with me? <laughs> Are you seriously blaming me for your mistakes, Jaron? That's not a very pretty look. I recognize what I did, Adam. But you promised me Oka's safety, and last I recall, Oka was not safe. Aren't after they? We spoke. They're not the one who's dead. They could have been. 
And something tells me that's exactly what you wanted. What? For a non-paragon to die on the stage? You failed me, Jaron. I didn't fail you. I upheld my end of the bargain. I said he simply had to think about it. And that's what I did, and I woke up with a dagger inside of Oka's chest that is not promising me their life or their safety, Adam. What your subconscious does is none of my concern. All I asked for you to do, as I say again, was to think about it. And Jaron, this isn't a um, trigger, but when he says, think about it, I think you do, like, you just flash back to the memory of you thinking about it and that horrible time. This isn't him pulling you by some magical trigger word. This is just you remembering. And now that your mind is clear, now that you're no longer under Adam's curse and you think back to those memories, you see the edges, the details of those fuzzy memories come into clarity. Take, for instance, uh, the dream of you and Oka on a bed, cuddling, being happy. That was one of the images that had flashed through your brain when you were told to think about it. But now that you're looking at it objectively, it's like remembering a dream in full detail. You realize that even in that dream, you weren't happy. Happiness, joy, contentment weren't emotions that were filling you. It was simply the absence of pain. It was simply an empty nothingness as you held Oka. Upon this realization, Jaron looks at Adam horrified and turns back to look at Oka with this pain in their eyes. And it's like you're looking at a prey animal who's been caught in a trap. Don't take his deal. How many souls? 3,193 people. You fucked over my boyfriend. Why would I trust that you would actually let them go? You can't. And I don't think there's a single arrangement of words in and dock in common that I could string together to make you trust me. I'm not asking for your trust. I'm asking for a deal. But you can believe is that I am sick and tired of being badgered by your party. I can give up 3,193 souls. We can always collect more. I have a counter offer. And I think Sitlali steps forward, pat like away from Mercy. Tell me, Adam. Is your little charade here as, uh, Imago, as you like to call yourself, going as well as, um, what was it called? Bitcoin? Adam stares at you. His face doesn't change. I think he always had this kind of, like, shit-eating grin on his face when he was talking to you, but the grin looks particularly plastered on when you drop that word in common. Uh, he looks at you and he just says, Where did you hear that word? Out of your mouth. His like eye, his eyebrows furrow in confusion for like a hot second. Do you not remember on the beach where the chrysalis almost ate you? And Sitlali is advancing slowly on him. 
As you do, like the cages rattle a little bit as like the empty beasts press themselves up against the bars and like reaching their arms and limbs through it to try to grab at you, but they're they're too far away, right? They just sort of like surge up as you as you approach him. My, 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 my. Siblali Thornhart, you are full of surprises, aren't you? I'm one of the best. And you, Adam, I get the sense that you weren't really anybody before you got here, were you? And I get the sense that if the stranger weren't pumping her magic through your veins, that you'd be nothing here. So, tell me, is it good to be someone? To feel like a big man, Adam? Finally. You little. And the word that comes out of his mouth is not in a language any of you understand. It sounds like gibberish. But you get the sense it's not very nice. I understand all spoken language. I'm deeply curious. (laughs) (laughs) All spoken language, I don't know. I think, yes, all spoken language in your reality. Fine, we'll allow so, it. So, I don't know how Gentle would, like, just canonically, I don't think it would make sense. Uh, so Gentle, you know that you know every single language that's been spoken in Endake, and maybe even some of the languages of the gods, right? Like, you are you you are aware of them. The word or phrase or whatever that Adam utters doesn't ping. It's completely not of this world. So, my counteroffer... You release the souls, and we keep your fucking secret. There are worlds of information that none of your tiny little minds could hope to comprehend, even if you had a thousand years to live and a thousand years on top of that to die. Fine. I void the contracts. You keep my secret. Do we have a deal? I don't know, Oka, do we? I trust my second. Fine. Then we shake on it. And Adam holds out a hand. Sit, Lolly, don't. Don't shake. So you're just going to have to take my word for it, I guess. Adam, like, breathes out really heavily, and you can see him doing the calculus in his cold blue eyes. Let his secret be endangered or lose this many souls. He's, like, doing the math. He's weighing the scales in his head, and then he eventually reaches a conclusion. He retracts his hand, like, uses the same hand to sort of, like, brush his hair back out of his face and pull himself straight, and he says... Fine, then I'll just have to take your word for it. And as he's speaking, he's beginning to back away into the shadows, and he's raising his hands up. And all of you feel the weave in this room begin to tense a little bit, and like the monsters begin to writhe as he's starting to do something to them and to the souls. I'm gonna follow him into the darkness. Okay. Again. Okay. I would like to find his cheek with my hand. And I'm going to need him to make a constitution saving throw. Okay. Against what? What are you- are you blighting him? 
And this is a different spell called Contagion. Schnarsty, okay, what does it do? If he fails, then he gets a little disease of my choice. And my choice is Rot, which is uh, the creature's flesh decays. The creature has disadvantage on charisma checks and vulnerability to all damage for uh, seven days. Oof. Okay. Uh, he, f- he definitely failed because I rolled really low for him. So what does it look like as you reach into the darkness and touch his cheek? I think the last time they had a similar interaction, Sitlali's confidence was very fake. And this time it's very, very real. Because the people that she needs are right behind them in case anything goes wrong. And I think she just kind of roughly takes his cheek and digs a thumbnail into it and just says, remember that you're nothing there or here. You taste worse than insignificant to me. Then kind of drags their thumbnail down his cheek and turns and walks away. I love that, Sitlali. You punch your nail into his cheek. He flinches when you do that. He wasn't expecting you to follow him into the shadows and you drag it down and there's just a line of red blood that opens up. uh, Almost like a blooming flower, like down the length of his skin. He lets out a horrific sound, uh, even as he clenches his fists uh, and like the weave around the souls within the empty beasts like snaps. He pulls his fists down as you see blood just begin to bubble on his face uh, and like blisters and horrifying welts begin to open up. And with your true sight, Sitlali, you for this entire exchange have seen Adam for how he actually looks. Uh, exactly like you remember from the vision of him. This kind of wilted, not very attractive looking dude with kind of limp golden hair. You see that everything else is an artifice, it's illusion magic. Really good illusion magic, but still illusion magic. Uh, And he reels backward, right? Pulling his fists down. And all of you see the empty monsters, the little blobs, they just sort of like let out a horrible cacophony of of bubbling and and pustuling, uh, like, you're at the rim of a volcano and hearing the magma bubble, like as they disintegrate, uh, they slough off into puddles of black goo that sizzle against the steel and begin to like melt the rebar, right? Like this toxic black sludge. And Sitlali, you see the souls release, not into the nothing plane or into emptiness or into wherever else that empty souls go when they're eaten, but they shoot up like through the ceiling and you can feel them like traveling down the snapped bands of the weave back toward their original destinations. So it seems Adam kept his word. It seems like he actually kept his word uh, and he is releasing the souls back to where they belong. Uh, and the last thing, yeah, he reels away from you, cupping his face, right? And then he pulls his hand back and sees some of his own flesh, like, stuck onto his hand and lets out a horrific, rage-filled scream. He turns and rips a hand through the blackness behind him, opening a tear into the nothing. Uh, and you see a darkness darker than even the blackness of the shadow you're standing in widen. And uh, you feel like all the weave and the magic and the light and the life and the breath in this room start to get vacuumed toward it, but it's much smaller than the portal you ripped open at the 
chrysalis, and he looks at you, Sitlali, uh, like cupping the bottom of half of his jaw that's now starting to show skeleton and bone and teeth. And he just says to you, this isn't over. And he tips backward into the nothing plane and then woof, zips up. Sitlali kind of crumples at that and leans very heavily on their cane and lets out a breath they've been holding. Jaron runs forward and like tries to like catch Sitlali with one hand. Sitlali, Sitlali, are you okay? What, what did fine. he do? He didn't do anything. I'm just tired, Jaron. At that, Mercy runs forward as well. Uh, she catches up and sort of like bodily shoves Jaron out of the way of like holding on to Sitlali and holds her instead. <sighs> Sitlali, hey, hey. Do you want, do you want, do you need anything? Um, massage? Food, water. Can you carry me this time? Yes. Yes. Bridal style? Sure, babe. Okay. She like sweeps a hand under your knees and pulls you up. Right? Uh, and says, Alright, Mercy Taxi on her way. And like turns around, right? And sort of like walks back toward where Oka and Gentle and Dr. Luso are, careful to like step over the puddles of noxious goo that are dribbling out of the steel cages. And the smell's starting to get real bad. It smells like burning plastic, right? Like real, real gross smell starting to fill this space. Time to go, Hans. Uh, and Oka's going to wait at the base of the stairs to do something bef- as everyone, uh, I think, heads up. Unless anyone wants to do anything else down here. Not in the goo pit. I think we're all ready to get out of the goo pit. Yeah, I would like to, as always, as is my way, misuse a spell. Uh, it's my favorite thing to do, I think. This spell is called Bloodburn. And since this goo stuff is empty monster blood, I want to light it on fire to make this whole place burn down. That's what I want. I think you do it. Uh, Oka looks at Sitlali kind of as Mercy is bringing them up the stairs. Good job. Sorry in advance. Uh, And they grab their wrist, uh, because I have to lose HP for this spell. Uh, And their tattoo uh, that they have their like right of flame on, the same thing kind of starts happening. The tattoo looks red hot, like it starts to like burn up underneath their skin. And they like are concentrating this like little bit of blood runs down their nose and they hold, hold, hold until I think the rest of the blood like starts to bubble, 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 bubble. And then it all lights on fire. Um, and we, Sitlali, you and I are going to take 16 points of damage for this spell uh, as Oka lights the blood in the basement on fire. This all-consuming darkness that was sort of encroaching its way, folding its way like tenebrous waves of ocean water, like in in this cavern, suddenly explodes in light uh, as fire, right? Like just immediately ripples across it, like it's an ocean of oil and you just drop dropped a lit match on top of it, right? And we just see everything about this. We see how tall this the ceiling is. It's maybe uh, 40, 50 feet tall. Uh, we see like all of the cavernous edges of it suddenly like glow into sharp relief. And the last thing you all hear before they too get engulfed in the roaring of the flame are the screams and wails of the monsters that have not completely quote unquote died yet, uh, but now definitely are, are fucking dead or dying as the, the fire eats through their gooey flesh and climbs up with like claws of flame toward the ceiling. And Oka, you just look at this destruction, you smell this like 
scent of burning plastic, acidic and, and rough within your nostrils. And you go. Oka, Sitlali, Jaron, and Gentle, Mercy and Dr. Eluso, your party runs up this spiraling staircase of stone that eventually transforms into wood. The smell of smoke, black fire, the roiling roar of the flames licking their way up the staircase, following you, nipping at your heels. And I think your party like dumps out onto like the top landing, like you, the main door bursts open and you all spill out into the corridor. We see like thin streams of smoke following you out into the main house of the orphanage. What do you all do? I think Sitlali concentrates and then looks for any bit of like rock and solid stone that they can in this passageway up uh, and cast stone shape to try and like block the entrance to the basement so no one can ever go down there again. I love that. I think you're able, maybe you're the last person out. Like you turn around right after Oka like runs past you to like face this like yawning crevice of just smoke and darkness and like the the barest hint of flame at the bottom of the throat uh, of this entrance into the basement. And you pull on the weave. You feel like little minerals, like granules of rock and crystal like built into the floor and the dirt underneath it. And you grab onto where the wood part of the descent into the basement meets the stone part of where it turns into the underground. And I think you don't see this because you're too far up, but we as the audience, we shoot back down through the smoke to see this rock punch outward from the walls uh, and like knit shut. So Sitlali, you're successful. Like you shut off, right? Um, Any way of anyone getting back down into that basement of fucking horrors. Uh, And this is to say that the fire has already reached the wooden part of the staircase and continues to eat and hungrily devour its way up the panels. Yeah, I think Oka wastes no time. They've kind of dropped the like princely facade they had as they were coming in. They're like going down hallways, tearing doors open, yelling fire. Uh, and just like pulling people out, like by the like the scr- the like scruffs of their clothes, and like throwing them into the hallway, like going down and making sure that everyone gets out of the building before it burns down. Uh, yes, I think Doctor Luso and Mercy also do that. Uh, as smoke begins to fill the first floor and then filter up through to the second floor, like all of your nostrils burn with the heat of it. Like maybe you're coughing a little bit, right? And, and like blackness and it's stinging your eyes. All of you manage to, with your collective efforts, I think, get everyone who's alive inside the orphanage out, right? And there's like a moment where we like hold on the front facade of the orphanage, and then we see like the front doors burst open, like the door almost like falls off its hinges as Mercy like bull rushes it and like. Pfft, like a massive gout of fu- like uh, smoke comes out from the front. Um, the fire has reached the second floor and the heat of it explodes. I think the windows up front, like eyes pouring fire now, like <laughs> flames coming up. Um, it's going up like a fucking uh, icicle on Adolin and Morose uh, because I think it's a tradition. It's a morosey tradition to douse stalagmites of ice in oil and then light them on fire to like welcome in the new year. It, it just fucking goes up like a morose and icicle, right? All of you pour out onto the front lawn and people start stumbling and coughing and like falling to their hands and knees and like the congregations of people who are protesting like beyond the fence they like stop talking they go whoa they're like looking up at this like house going up in flames because you were like we're gonna talk to people and then you come out running and screaming and like the house is on fire right but at this stage before chaos can descend again sitlali you and i think you alone probably uh, of your party notice 
Coming out of the dirt underneath you, the souls that Adam had released, they look like the thin tails of fireworks, like going up into the air before they explode into a crescendo uh, of bloom. Uh, you see different colors, red, blue, green, orange, cerulean, pink, lavender, just shoot up and then shoot toward specific people. Every single member of the chrysalis that was in the orphanage has a soul that shoots back into their bodies, right? Um, we see like a, a a brown-skinned elf who had like fallen face down into a bed of petunias, like trying to like push themselves back up. Uh, their blue soul like shoots back into their body through the back of their, the small of their back and they, <gasps> they gasp and they go, what? but wait, I... But monsters, but the contracts, I, I, and there's like very similar moments of like realization and awareness happening all throughout the garden and all throughout the people congregated in the crowd. We see a, a pink soul lance its way through the air and shoot into Grace, who was in the middle of saying, everyone calm down. I'm sure there's a perfectly reasonable reason for why the Imago would blow up the, wait, 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 what, but I, but I, and she like braces her hand against the fence as like her full agency returns to her. Uh, everything she's been prevented from saying because of signing the contract becomes uncorked, right? Like realization and awareness floods back into her eyes and a sob just racks Grace's body as she falls to her knees and like like holds onto the fence for, for purchase. This is happening all over, like everywhere you can see. In Sitlali, you see bands of souls like shooting like from the orphanage to like various different places in Dabathati as well. And I think Oka just starts helping people up, getting them resituated, right? Taking them to Medwards if they need to go to Medwards, reconnecting people with like where they're actually supposed to be. I really love that. And I assume the rest of you do the same, right? You help like help people's anxieties and confusion about what the hell's happening. And I think we see a really sweet montage of all of you, like putting blankets over people who are in shock. Like we see like Dr. Aluso talking to a group of people like led by the inquisitive halfling that stopped Oka, like explaining exactly what had happened. Uh, we see Oka diverting people toward medwards, right? Pe some commoners, some people in the crowd like step up to the plate. Like they also help like bring people to shelters and like give people food and like tea is procured out of nowhere. Coffee is procured out of nowhere. Like hot drinks are passed around and like the the tension that had, had reached a boiling point and was about to spill over is brought back down. The flame has been lowered, ironically enough, as the orphanage goes up in flames, right? That actually seems to calm people down, right? And I think a, an image we get before we cut to the next scene is of all four of you and Mercy and Dr. Aluso going through the crowd, answering their problems, like addressing their questions and their fears and helping uh, the Chrysalis members like sort of like reintegrate a little into, into their daily life. And I think at some point, like in the night, maybe, I don't even think we like hear the conversation that they have, but Oka goes over to Mama Fish and Ibia. And I think we just like see their mouth move. And then they kind of like just pull Ibia, who is in fact an inch taller than them, uh, like just like into their arms for a tight hug. Yeah, like amidst all the people moving around, there's like a, a, a break in the bodies where we see Oka come up to Mama Fish and Ibia. And there's a look of shock on both of their faces. And without even, you know, waiting for a response, Oka, you pull Ibia into a hug. And then we just see Ibia sort of like collapse against Oka. Mama Fish's like face like darkens and narrows. And she also 
steps forward and hugs both of you. And I think for a really long time, the three of you just hug as like Ibia's like, I think screaming sobs are like muffled against Mama Fish's hug as well as Oka's hug too. And like a person passes by the scene and like cuts it away to a sheaf of papers slamming onto a desk. Uh, a blue-skinned hand slamming on top of the sheaf of papers. We travel up the length of this uh, robed arm to see the hammer-headed, disappointed, frustrated-looking gaze of Karishma Bateval, Consul of Saraksha. Uh, they are sitting in their big chair, and behind them is a conference call going. We see the ghostly forms of each of the members of the Alliance of the Eight behind them. Uh, almost like projected silvery illusions, right? From the massive scrying bowl mounted behind their desk. And Karishma Bateval is saying to, like, all of you, Chaos. Disorder. Confusion. A city on the verge of rioting, the likes of which we've never seen since Adolin. I think Jerron kind of steps up uh, a little bit awkwardly uh, at this. Consul, if I may, none of this is a reflection on Prince Hien's actions. They, well, they didn't know about... I, I will take responsibility for a lot of what has happened and... It wasn't their doing, it wasn't their plan. In fact, a lot of the protests were quelled largely in part because of Prince Hien, and really, I think you have them to thank for the resolution of the whole thing. Do I now? <sighs> because I have seven extremely important people behind me right here who are, of course, the people you are supposed to answer to. Wondering why my city literally went up in flames. Well, normally subtlety is more our style, but um, that sort of went out the window when the chrysalis kidnapped me and threw me into the nothing plane. <sighs> yes, yes, my sympathies for what you went through, Sitlali, but <sighs> subtlety is, 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 is necessary. The people, nay, not just the people, the leaders, and they gesture to the people behind them, need to know that we can count on heroes who can persevere no matter what. Not whatever you did with, with the fog at the conference, at the pronouncement to the people, Karishma gestures to gentle, which stirred up a lot of, a lot of angry feelings. The fleeing of the scene, uh, might I reiterate, one of our orphanages going up in flames. I wouldn't exactly say that it was your orphanage anymore. No, no, it was, of course, the hideout for the chrysalis, but it had historic importance to the city. This is still my city. I wish you would have, I wish you would have asked permission before setting one of our buildings on fire. Um, I, with all due respect to everyone listening, I, time was kind of of the essence between kidnapped party members and the exploding mail. It wasn't easy to have time to really think and plan. Uh, we did the best with what we had. <sighs> Karishma leans back, like, down into their seat and sort of turns, so they're halfway facing the glowing members of the Alliance and halfway facing you, and we see them in full relief now. We see on one end, Toktoa Kagan, who's standing there, arms crossed over a half plate, like draped in like hide and leather armor, right? Ponytail up, like not, like shaking their head and frowning a little bit. We see Oka's 
dad, mom, fa mother, father, uh, sat behind what appears to be a desk, a regal flowing robes on like a big crown. And they're just staring impassively. Their, their mismatched eyes have not left Oka's this entire time. Uh, we also see Lord Henka Oju, the great uniter, right? The leader of the tribes of Jukai. She also seems to be sat behind a desk and is sipping at some tea, right? That someone off screen has brought onto her. We see just hands come in and like some tea and she's sipping. Like her white painted face betraying no emotion or like no, like you don't really know what she's thinking at all. Like big coiffed black hair. Uh, and we, uh, we also see Kane who is uh, not really paying attention to what's happening. They're throwing knives off screen, right? And this entire time, they've just sort of been muttering to themselves and just going, oh, oh, Tiahu, I wish you would stop moving. If you don't want me to clip your tiny little baby ears, stop moving and keep the apples on your head uh, as they're like tossing the knives off screen. Karishma turns and looks at the Alliance and Taktoa goes, I'm sure all of you are under a lot of stress, believe me. The Paragon that was sent to me was under a lot of stress as well, but they left a couple of days ago and uh, they were able to tie things up without blowing up any of our structures. And I think Oka has been taking this conversation like a champ. They've been like just sitting there and taking like 15 minutes of Karishma Badaval, like going through the itemized list of all the fuck ups that is, are their fault, even though it was their boyfriend's fault. Uh, and they really have just been like just take just taking it like a champ. Oka one year ago would have really uh, just absolutely blown up, uh, probably literally this room. Uh, but I think they're they're really just they're they're taking it and they say kind of with a strained because they're getting to the edge of their patience i think strained i remind you that if we had the necessary support from the council to begin with for this mission maybe we wouldn't have had a kidnapped cleric or paragon in the first place but now everyone is safe and i apologize about the building I thought it better that nobody ever go there ever again. Uh, I think at this, the council mutters to each other. Like you see Duchess Starwing, right? Mercy's like very much averting her gaze, right? As like the Duchess is there, like lean in to like whisper something to like Princess Kakoa, like the youngest member of the council who's like nodding and like listening and thinking like, like, and we see like Lord Henka Oju lean in to Taktoa and like mutter something like behind like a fan and Taktoa like nod with like her arms crossed. Uh, Okay, your mother father is the one who, who speaks up actually and says, I have enough faith in your intellect, Paragon of Sen, to make the assumption you are not blaming the Alliance for lack of resources as to the outcome of your endeavors here. Oh, this is horrifying. No, but a clarity of information is always appreciated during briefings. There were a few components of this mission that were unclear to us that affected the clarity of our mission. Well, I know as well as anyone the importance of knowledge, wisdom, information when it comes to guiding decisions. And at that, Karishma <clears throat> clears their throat a little bit because they were the one who had withheld the information from the council. They turn and what I, I think... I think what we're trying to get to here is just a reassurance and like pivots their chair fully to, to all of you that the Paragon of Sen and your, what was it? Hounds? Dogs? The Hounds of Mercy. 
Yes, and your hounds of mercy answer to the Alliance, not the other way around. Yes? Of course. I would also like to clarify that they're not my hounds of mercy. I'm their paragon. Mercy just goes, damn right. Uh, and Duchess Starwing just rolls her eyes and looks looks off to the side. Kanishman nods, swivels on their chair, looks up at the ghostly forms of the council. Well, does that reassure all the members of the Alliance here? And there are nods, I think, like around all of their like illusory forms. Good, good. Uh, well then, thank you for attending this emergency briefing. I appreciate it very much. I'm sure you all have very busy schedules to go to and, oh, okay, they're gone. And I think um, Toktoa had already zapped out like on, on the goodbye of the Zoom call, you know what I mean? And with that, like several other people start zapping out. Like uh, we see Duchess Starwings zap out, but before she does, we see um, their child come into frame with like like a bundle of scrolls, like this half orc, uh, half elf child uh, come in, right? Like half drow, like with like little tusks and like little tuft of like reddish hair through the through the silver illusion with some scrolls. Cause their child's also like a leader in the court, right? So they look like very professional. They're holding scrolls up to the duchess before they zap out. And on that mercy just sort of goes, wait, huh? Hmm. Uh, but then like more of them zap away. Uh, and I think one of the last people to zap away is the emperor, uh, is they lock eyes with Oka and they just go, well done. And they zap, like shimmer out of existence. And Kane is the absolute last person to leave because they have not been paying attention this entire time. They continue to throw knives off screen, uh, producing it from more and more ridiculous areas, like underneath their sleeves, like behind their back, like from a boot. Uh, and then we just Kane, hear like an off- Kane, what, what, uh, hmm? Oh, oh, is it over? And while looking at you, they throw a knife and we hear like, like from off screen, they go, oh, Xiaohu, come on. It's not even that big of a gash. It's, it's just your, it's just your shoulder. Uh, good talk, or I'm sorry, whatever makes sense for this situation. Uh, and they, they blow a kiss to you, Oka, and to you, Jaron, too. Uh, and then they zap out. Pink Lolly leans over to Mercy and goes, I know I was a little distracted when we were at the court, but is that? Did you what, and what, what, Duchess what, Starwing? We were lovers. Yes, were is the operative word there. Is that your kid? No. 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 No way. Mercy, did you I'm, did you ask about it when you were there? Why would I ask about it? I mean, if if they were my kid, don't you think the Duchess would have told me when we were there? And she didn't, so... Yeah, but the court's kind of like that. We're, have you noticed the cryptic word? We can't really help it. Um... Sibali, I'm not... I'm not ready to be a dad. I'm... I can't... I'm not... I'm not ready to be a step-parent. We... We pan... We pan back to Karishma, who like swivels her chair like back to the hounds and, and Oka. And like the look of disappointment and frustration actually just completely slides off of their face. And they're all business again. And they actually raise a hand and we see like a quill that had been floating in the air, writing on a scroll, like pauses, and then gently floats back down onto, onto a desk. They say, off the record, thank you 
I hope you understand I had to preserve some egos with my display of admonishment back there. I had to soothe some hurt feelings, um, reassure the Alliance, of course, of their prominence in saving Endake. But I personally, I, I thank you, all of you. I think you all did the absolute best job you could have done considering the circumstances. And I am deeply grateful for you running the chrysalis out of town, frankly. Their reputation is in tatters. We've set up uh, deep programming sessions for all affected members of the chrysalis, therapy hotspots. I was able to pass a bill, actually, during an emergency session of the Senate last night. Turns out, when the Imago's gone and their coffers have run dry, the other consoles are a lot more pliable to my suggestion of setting up soup kitchens uh, and shelters for displaced peoples here, which is what the Chrysalis had been doing, but because of well, bureaucracy, it was harder for us to act. So they seized the opportunity. I can take the rebuilding of Dabathati from here, and I have all of you to thank for your perseverance, your efforts, and she turns to you, Oka. Your sacrifices. Yeah, don't worry about the meeting thing. I have been uh, admonished by world leaders since I was seven. So, no big problem. Yeah. Um, I figure it relevant to tell you as well that Mama Fish has been named the new foreman of the mines. So you can rest assured knowing that Ujval is under good hands. And I have put the miners' demands at the top of my priority list uh, instead of the bottom. Thank you. It's the least I can do. All right, then. The Hounds of Mercy, I'm sure all of you have plenty of work you have to do to tie up your business here in Dabathati. Feel free to keep camping out in my uh, backyard. Okay. Uh, there's not a wolf there right now, by the way. I'm sure there's not. And if you could not hang uh, your laundry on the branches of the trees there, all of the trees are rare. They are endangered as are the bird specimens. Uh, and Mercy just uh, blanches. Mercy, and she like, leans into you, Sitlali, and says, fuck, I think I killed one of the toucans. It was just looking at me really aggressively. Babe, why okay. would you do... It's just a toucan. It was... It's, I don't like its beak. It was too big. Not bigger than your biceps. Oh, thank you. But I think it's dead. I'll bring... We'll see. Uh, and we, like, pan back to Karishma. She nods. Right. Anything else you need to ask me before we adjourn? Not ask, but, um... <clears throat> and Jaron will un unfurl the map to the Chrysalis Orphanage and hand it back gingerly to Karishma Bathwal. Ah. So that's where that went. And she, like, takes it back and says... I hope you know you're directly responsible for me firing an aide. She like looks at your draw, like your notes on the map and flips it around and flicks her eyes back up at your party. I will leave whatever interpersonal conflicts you have about the outcome of whatever happened during the conference between the six of you. Thank you for returning this, if belatedly. And about that aide, they could probably get their job back, right? Uh, they cussed me out when I fired them, so I don't think I'll be rehiring them. Right. Well, I'm sorry again about taking that. Maybe, um, it will be of use building a new orphanage. Perhaps. Thank you. 
and she like tucks like the, the, the map like underneath the desk, but all of you hear like paper crumpling, and then she tosses something that hits a waste bin. Good election year, console. Thank you. Yet another stressor on the pile of growing stressors I have, but the chrysalis's reputation is gone, and I finally feel like Dabathati can turn a new leaf. We'll be in touch. And I think Oka gets up. Mm. She nods, and she like stands and like holds out an arm for you all to like leave and presumably go back to the front front yard that you're camping out in front of. Like she she's got like a her window's right there and she can see it. Like she'll just pivot and like see all of you in the garden, right? We open back on Karishma Bataval's secret garden. Where we see, I think, a scene of for mercy, at least, kind of grim packing up, rolling up her bedrolls, pulling stakes out of the ground, like kicking dirt over the perforations in in the ground that she caused with the tent poles, uh, casting a wary gaze over the shimmering water where Dr. Aluso is putting final touches on the teleportation sigil to make sure it uh, maps back to their cottage instead of somewhere completely random from the cracked sigil Oka caused. Uh, amidst this garden, we just see palm fronds. Uh, we hear the chittering of now aware of endangered birds and insects. Uh, we smell pollen drifting through the air. A little uh, escape, a little enclave of summer amidst the dark and cold winter that has iced and rhymed down deep into the stalagmites across the rest of Dabathati. So amidst the secret garden, I'd love to go to perhaps um, Jaron first to see what you're up to. Jaron is carrying a wooden javelin, very, very poorly made, that they have made themselves. I tried to whittle, very little success, uh, but it, it vaguely looks like what a javelin is supposed to look like. It's hard to whittle a javelin with one hand when you have recently just now suddenly become left-handed. And so he walks up to Mercy, who I imagine is just kind of like packing up, and he just holds out the javelin. Mercy, can we talk? Mercy straightens from the tent she's been like folding up and turns to look down at you. I wanted to apologize to you. We haven't had a chance to talk yet since, since Ravi, and I know she meant a lot to you, so I just, I, and they kind of stick out the javelin even further. Uh, she looks down at, uh, the, the rough carving of the javelin and takes it from you, uh, and she turns it around and considers it. Did you put like a lot of effort and heart into carving this javelin? Yeah, Jaron spent a lot of time on it, which is maybe not apparent from the way it looks, but I think it's pretty obvious. Like she can tell. She looks down at this javelin and looks over at you. Is this is this an apology? The start of one, I think. Or at least I hope. I know that I can't exactly just do one thing and make up for what happened, but I do want you to know that I'm sorry, Mercy. I can't imagine losing someone as close to me as Ravi was to you. I don't... I can't even begin to think about what it would take to earn your forgiveness, whether I even deserve it, but 
I want to try. Mercy's chest inflates as she breathes in and then breathes out. And she looks down at you and she says, Thank you for saying that, Jaron. I actually really appreciate it. That actually really does mean a lot coming from you. And I can tell you put a lot of effort into carving this, even though it looks like absolute garbage. Uh, and she like sort of tucks it, tucks it into her pack, actually, almost gingerly, almost gently. And she says, I don't think I'm ever going to get over Vravi's death or how it happened. But what you're saying to me now does help me feel a little bit better. And Jaron, I genuinely mean this. I hope you get better. I hope you're able to figure out a way forward from all of this that doesn't hurt other people and doesn't hurt you. I hope you're able to grow. I really genuinely do. And I hope you know that I really do care about you. And I love you. Jaron, you're fired from the Hound. Yeah, I suppose that's fair. I love you too, Mercy. Even after all of this. Yeah. I know. And she turns and walks away from you. And I think maybe Sitlali, I think you overhear this. You're the second. Wherever you are nearby, you definitely hear and see this. And I think Sitlali comes over and just quietly to Duran goes, For the record, it was my idea to fire you first before everything. So technically that should have come from me, but I'll let her have it. She needs it more than I do right now. I feel like Mercy's reasons for firing me makes more sense than yours did, Sitlali, but... Oh, really? <laughs> and Jaron is just, like, laughing a little bit. Sitlali, I'm gonna miss you. Go back to Moroz, yeah? Back to Moroz with Gentle. With Where gentle. are you going to be going? Oh, you know. Mercy hasn't told me yet. <laughs> I think maybe she's planning something. I don't know. But Murrows will probably be far, though. Not too far for a letter. Or a message. Or a message. Listen, the stuff I told you, um, that's between us, yeah? Yeah, I haven't told anybody and I don't intend to. I figure but that's not something you want other people knowing just yet. No. It would be good to, um, let them know myself rather than secondhand, I think. Yeah, I can speak from experience if you don't tell them first. Things kind of blow up, literally. So they do. Hey, Sulali. Yeah, Jaron? Thank you for the tent, for talking to me. And for everything, really. And I don't think I've said this yet, but I'm sorry about what happened between us before Oka showed up, I mean. And Sitlali takes a moment to take all of that in. I should have sent those fucking letters, huh? I didn't 
send mine, so I get it. Maybe we can send some letters now, though. Maybe we can, if that's something that you still want to do. Is it something you want, Jaron? I do. I do. Okay. Letters it is. Letters it is. For the record, I do um, still have one free stab on you, uh, per mercy, of course. Um, Jaron starts backing up at this, Savali. I could do it now. Um, or you could not do it. I suppose I owe you one. Next time I see you. Yeah, I would love to see you again, Lolly, but reconsider. Reconsider the stab, maybe. I mean, like, the agreement was non-vital areas only, so, like, I can heal you. That's, like, my thing. That doesn't make... That doesn't make it better, Sitlali. You're still going to stab me. Do you do you hear do you hear what you're saying? Do you hear the words that are coming out of your mouth right now? I think I'm turning a little bit into mercy, huh? You two do spend a lot of time together. It's cute, actually. Nothing I do is cute, Jerron. Then Jerron blushes a little bit. Sure. Sure. Why do you disagree? I think that underneath your ruffled feathers there is yeah you're cute so lolly gentle actually i'm gonna cut in gentle do you think this is when you perhaps maybe make an arrival on the scene maybe go on uh, uh, i i will uh um uh hi uh everyone uh I sit lolly. Um, Dron, do you mind if I talk to sit lolly for a second? Yeah, go for it. And Jaron will exit. Hi. Hey. Um, it's gonna be really weird to be without the rest of the hounds and Morose. Yeah, Jaron got fired. What? <laughs> Yeah, Mercy just fired him. Am I going to be the only hound in Morose? For now. We don't have to tell... I mean, don't, don't like, tell everybody else, you know, like... I mean, maybe do, like, a little bit. Am I in charge of, like, are the Mosey section of the hounds now? And so that, like, thinks... Yes. You are. Okay. Am I allowed to add hounds at my own discretion? I'll have to talk to Mercy about that, but probably... Okay. Um, anyway, um, I wanted to also give you a, a, a care package for when we go. Um, oh! Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's gonna be a little, like, um, essentially like a little basket of, like, different teas and, like, medicinal balms and stuff that I've made. Um, just in case, because I don't know exactly how long I'll be gone. I want to make sure that you have stuff to remind you of uh, us. Us being... Us being, I guess, me and Bud and the... Well, I guess not Drum anymore. But us being, I guess, me 
Um, you, you and... Me and you? I just want to make sure you're able to take care of yourself and you can have some tea that can help you relax and make sure you're okay. I know you care a lot about everyone and I just want to make sure you're safe too. It's really sweet, gentle. God, wait, do I have to be the moral compass of the hounds now that you're leaving? Uh, and and maybe on that that horrifying realization, uh, perhaps is that uh, when Oka, you find these two talking? I think Oka has a few of their things. They didn't have their own tent. They were sharing Jaron's tent and they hadn't slept in it when they were holding vigil over Ravi, but all their shit was in there. So I think they come out of Jaron's tent, specifically when they were not in it, um, with their stuff kind of like slung over their shoulder. And they're like, oh, uh, Gentle, did you make any more of those, uh, what were they, like like roasted squash things? I'm sorry, am I interrupting something right now? Uh, Lolly is like crimson red. Is something wrong with your... So, Lily, are you okay? Something, something's wrong with your face. No, my face no, is fine. Face. No, my face Lally, is fine. Okay, oh, oh, my face is fine. I'm okay. just gonna... And then she just, like, walks in a direction. <laughs> Gentle, something was wrong with Lily's face. I've never seen that. Uh, anyway, um... Gentle's just gonna run past it. Uh, did you hear about Jaron getting fired? Oh. Yeah. Mercy, oh. or, well, we, I might be able to get him rehired on a technicality, but we'll figure that out. Um, uh. but un- unrelated, I wanted to make sure I gave you uh, a gift, um, since I won't be with most of the hounds. Um, and it's uh, a basket similar to the one uh, gentle made for Sitlali. Uh, maybe, for some reason, just a slightly slightly less fancy. Who can say why? Um, but with a bunch of medicinal elements and uh, herbs and stuff in it, alongside some uh, tea. I want you to have this. So, when I'm not around, you can have something to help you relax. <laughs> Thanks, gentle. I really appreciate it. I didn't get to tell you this before, but thank you. For what? For walking with me. I was batshit terrified in front of all those people, gentle. Yeah, me too. Um, can I give you a hug? Yeah. Gentle gives a a big hug, and I think, just say I'm very proud of you. What do you have to be proud of me for? See you who's the little shining star. Thank you. And Uka pulls back, I think, and considers Gentle really hard. They kind of they actually like reach up and if Gentle will allow it, just kind of like touch the side of their face. I don't know what's gonna happen, Gentle, at the end of all this. But You are really what makes Andake worth fighting for. And don't think I could ever forget you. Or that you're here. Or why I fight for our family. 
knowing that there's a chance that we can save you and all the other Paracons makes me fight even harder. And we'll do what we can. I'll stop him from giving in to his ambition while you're gone. Good luck. You too. Anoka kind of steps back, sighs, and then looks around the garden for Jaron. Jaron is struggling to pack up their tent. Now that Oka got all of their stuff out of it, I think now is when he's like, okay, I can go get my stuff. Um, but they're having a little bit trouble unpacking it and like putting it away uh, because I imagine nobody else is really helping them. So, I think Oka looks for a moment and then walks over. Uh, and I think just wordlessly, they just kind of kneel down next to you and just push your arms out of the way and start doing it themselves without saying anything or looking up at you, but they just start doing it for you. Okay, it's it's okay. I, I, I have this. It's fine. I don't mind. And Jaron just kind of s- is like squatting there next to Oka silently for a few moments like looking at them kind of working. And I think in the silence for a moment, Oka, again, not looking at you, they just are like folding up this tent, putting all the components together, like breaking things down and breaking them apart. They just kind of are talking down at the objects in their hands. Uh, Dewey has an old mechanics partner in Rosso. Her name is Tonga. She specializes in prosthetics. You could get something nice from her. I'm sure Kane would pay for it. Um, thank you for that information. Yeah, I can, I can send a missive over to Kane and see if that's something that we can arrange for. Um, so where are you headed? And Oka kind of pauses. I think their hands like still over the pieces of the tent, and they finally like look up and over. And they don't have that red lightning bolt anymore. It's like their eyes again. I'm going to go get Sen. And Jerome's expression darkens just a little bit at that. And they try and like steal their face to hide it. But I think Oka can probably tell regardless. Oh, right. I suppose that. I suppose it's time. I got a letter from V from the last one. The last one. So where exactly are you going then? Chukai. Dr. Lusa says that the, what did he call it, the stagnation is centered around Kinongbo, so we'll be heading there as soon as possible. Is it, is it forward of me to ask you to write while you're there? Anuka puts the tent down and like actually turns to face Jaron. How many letters did you write me when I was gone? Eight. Then I'll write you eight. I'll wait for them. I'll wait for you. Bye, Jaron. And Oka stands up. Jaron stands up as well, really quickly, and I think grabs onto Oka's arm as they're turning away. Oka, wait. What, pretty boy? Stars kiss me.
You know we never got to the end of that fable. So what was the end? I guess we'll have to find out. And Oka finally, I think, gently pulls out of Jaron's grasp. And they walk toward, I think, where Mercy is and Dr. Lusso is and everyone is gathered, getting ready to get on the teleportation circle. Yep. Uh, Dr. Lusso at this point has straightened up from this raised stone dais. We see the sigils along the teleportation circle's base are on the process of lighting up. And we see like gentle blue light pool upward from the circle. And as it does, the dais like ripples into existence, the invisibling magic flowing off of it like the water that surrounds it. Dr. Lusso's silhouette is limbed by this like shimmering light. They look up, right? They adjust their glasses and smile upon Oka's arrival. Mercy's there too, I think. And uh, Silali, do you think you'd be there with Mercy? I think so, yeah. Mercy's got like her huge pack on with all the tents and all the supplies and uh, objects and materials shoved into the canvas flap. Jaron's javelin is sort of sticking out of the top of it, right? Sharp side up, uh, which is really bad form, but who gives a shit when it's Mercy, right? Turns around, you know, like her hair is back up in her usual ponytail. I think uh, the sides of her, are, her head are freshly shaved, her eye patch on solidly, looking freshly splashed with water. I think as your party huddles in front of the teleportation sigil, we kind of get like a final parting image, parting moment from each of you. Who would like to go first? Uh, there's just a lot uh, on Gentle's mind now. Bud's back, but that's not great. Jaron's uh, not a hound. I think there's just a lot of anxiety, but hope on Gentle's face as they're just sort of stealing themselves from what comes next. I think Bud's next to you. Bud is still is still kind of clammed up, still kind of not talking to you, actually, Gentle. But at least Bud's with you. Uh, and is like sort of next to your body. You can like feel his like soft, warm fur like against your skin as he's huddled up next to you. It's like big, like black eyes looking around, lowers his head. And then he raises his snout up at you, gentle, and asks like as you're stepping onto the circle, where are we going if not home? I wanted to get some tea with a friend and also tell them thank you. And then we'll head to Moros. Okay. Are we ever going to come back here? If we want. Will you ever let me see Sybil again? If you want. Okay. And I guess we can go to Moros for now. And Bud steps onto the stone. And gentle you follow. Jaron is going to step onto the dais and... As he does, he takes, I think, one last look at Oka. Sighs this big, bone-deep sigh and slips his hand into Gentles for comfort and just kind of rests their head on Gentles' arm. I think maybe as Oka is starting to step towards the circle, I think Sadali grabs their arm a little intensely. Mm. Uh, five days? They just say out of habit. Not that. Um, oh. I'm not leaving your side. You know that, right? (laughs) 
You guys have been a thorn in my side. And I need a favor. And they reach into their bag of holding and very clumsily pull out this like really pristine but otherwise unremarkable looking rapier. And like you can tell she doesn't know how to hold it because bitch has never fought with a sword in their entire life. And they just kind of look at it and she looks back up at Oka. I need you to train me in case something happens with the weave and I can't magic my way out of something. I need to... I need that. Pommel down, love. Uh, and Oka just kind of fixes the sword in Setlali's hand, like, moves their elbow in a little bit, tucks their wrist up just slightly, and, uh, you don't need to hold that tight. What is a pommel? Mm, we'll get started. Okay, and I think they just kind of, like, carefully put it back in the bag of holding. Um, I think Mercy has something fun planned for us, but otherwise... I will be going with you. We will be going with you to to Jukai. I need my second. Uh, but you need a vacation. Take a few days, please. Yeah. Please? Yeah. I do need that. Uh, Sitlali, I think as you step up onto the stone dais after tucking your rapier away, Mercy is there with you, like, waiting. She, like, leans in and says, I don't want to ruin the surprise, but uh, how are do you... Do you like hiking? She kind of holds up the cane. Hmm. Okay. Do you like sweet things? Yes. Do you like luxury being waited on hand and foot? You know the answer to that one. You're gonna love this. And like Mercy, like nods very smugly. Like she's like she's like a hundred percent assured that you're gonna just absolutely love whatever she's got planned for you. And like gestures for you to like have some space up on the dais. And they take it. Mm-hmm. Oh, poor Oka. Uh, Oka lets Sitlali get up on the dais first. And they kind of pause and look back at the spot where Ravi's body lay, where they kept vigil over it. And they get back up on the dais, and I think they're standing next to Dr. Elusa. They kind of like are tucking their shirt in and getting settled. And I think in this moment where they're not really paying attention to how their face looks, they look so tired and so empty almost the same way that they did when they first started this whole journey and then I think they just kind of like bump into Dr. Luso's elbow by accident and they go oh sorry hey Luca and Dr. Luso stabilizes you a little and they look at you and I think they see the exhaustion just hanging off every of your face and they pause and she says you can rest now for a little bit Oka Vinash is gone you're you again yeah I think the problem is is that I don't really know what that means I think you get to decide didn't I tell you that you did and I've held on to that ever since you said it to me so I'll say it back to you you get to decide the kind of person you are. Thanks, Sagu. Uh, and Oka kind of, I think, just like leans into Dr. Eluso and rests their head on their shoulder. 
Oh, uh, you're welcome, says Dr. Liso as they sort of, you know, bra- brace a little bit, right? That You know, they look surprised, uh, but they... Mm. All right, everyone. Are we ready? On to the next one. And Dr. Aluso, like, raises, like, uh, their hand up through the air, and, like, the glowing blue energy shimmers, 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 grows tangible, and poof, in a single pillar of light, all of your forms vanish into the air. And I think we hold for a minute on the empty glen in the secret garden, and we hear, like, fluttering of wings as we see, like, two ravens, like, flutter through the air and, like, land, like, in the pond. And one of the ravens says in bird, What? What? But, ah, shit! Fuck, we missed it! We missed them! God, what, what's the big lady gonna say to us if, if she knows we didn't actually deliver the message? And the other raven goes, Hey, 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 it's okay, Silver Eye, it's okay. She doesn't have to know what she doesn't have to know. We're here, we made it, we're in the big city. We're up here, there's there's bird bats everywhere, there's absolute dunces, we can run whatever cons we want. All right, all right, all right, well, she doesn't know won't kill her. Uh, and the two ravens get up and flutter away. Uh, and on that, we pull to black. And thus ends the adventure for the hounds in Dabathati. But... The story's not over yet. Over black, we hear thunder, waves crashing, the coppery smell of lightning. And then, blam! A bolt of electricity lights up the darkness and we see Manaya Wairua perched on the prow of a ship, the ocean a heaving mass of blackness around her. Her arm is outstretched, her face pinched in concentration, braids whipping like strands of shadow, skin laced with wetness. And another crack of thunder splits the air and we see fire. Red, hot, sizzling, causing steam to rise up for where it collides with the water, roiling in the depths of the blackened storm clouds all around Manaya, the weave igniting in warm lashes of flame. And then we see a glowing mass, red hot like magma bubbling out of a furnace emerge from this howling abyss. And the god shard of Mahu descends toward Manaya's fingertips, and Manaya reaches out and becomes Paragon of Mahu. And on that, we cut to black again, and we fade in on a blank white room. It's empty. No windows, no doors, just flat surfaces and a sleek marble floor. In the center of this room, we see a raised dais. And sitting atop this dais is a pedestal. And on top of this pedestal is a letter. There's a hissing noise. A seam in the perfectly smooth wall opens and a door slides. Coming through this door is a half-elf dressed in the regalia of the Andake Postal Service. Z approaches this letter grimly with all the ceremony of a funeral, someone's last rites, extremely serious here. Uh, Z walks up the steps of the dais and lifts up the uh, envelope with a lot of uh, gingerness to it. We pan down and we see words written on the front of this envelope in a really neat long hand. 
and we realize that the addressee of this letter, their name is written, like, large, in the center of this envelope. And their name is Dr. Hitsagaten Alusa. And a note is scrawled at the bottom of the envelope that reads, To be delivered eight months after the world ends. No one but you must read the contents within. There's no return address. This episode of The Second Stranger was edited by Connie Chong. Transplaner RPG is proudly sponsored by at Dimitri Opines on Twitter and explaintrade.com, a negotiation skills training consultancy, because you can't ask to roll persuasion in real life. Check out explaintrade.com. Please consider giving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. This helps so much with getting new listeners to find us. New podcast episodes drop every Tuesday. If you can't wait that long, tune into our live stream Saturdays at 7 p.m. U.S. Central Time on Twitch at TransplanarRPG. Also, toss us a follow on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and YouTube at TransplanarRPG. We also have a Patreon. Patrons get early access to episodes, character sheets, high-res art, and much, much more. And finally, a very special thank you to our Patreon Paragons. Alex, Brooke Bright, Charles, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, Emma, Hat, Conding, Lex Slater, Purple Mouse, Riley, Scruffusus, and Target.